John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 213.RV0103, certificate number 17854, the Chicago Seekers. 739, unidentified object 200 miles due west of Vancouver, British Columbia. Course, 170 degrees. Height, 60,000 feet. Estimated speed, down to 3,600 miles per hour. Yellow warning. It sure sounds like a, what, women's soccer team yeah, or, or basketball team. 50s folk septet. Oh, the Chicago Seekers. Uh, I wish I could have called the show The Brotherhood of the Seven Rays. What kept Which, you from doing that? It turns out it's not true. It, it's often given as an alternative name for the same movement that I'm calling the Chicago Seekers. Yeah. But further research revealed that, uh, well, basically anything deeper than Wikipedia revealed that no, the Brotherhood of the Seven Rays is kind of an unrelated. Oh, that, but that's a separate entry. And subsequent. Yeah. We can, don't worry. <laughs> okay. We can still get to the seven colors of higher density light coming from the astral plane to, uh, to the coast of South America via. Oh the ancient continents of Lemuria and Mu. I was going to say that this this almost was going to link up with my plan to do the music of the spheres, but I feel like maybe the music of the spheres has more grounding in reality. It's also a tough sound cue to tell our editor to do, like uh, play the music of the spheres here for a few minutes before we start talking. Shh. Is there that it, is. it? There it is. It's just my heartbeat. I can feel it vibrating. I got these, this is entirely unrelated, but I've never, they're building a house behind us. And so oh, there's always right. banging and crashing every morning at 7 a.m., which I guess is when you're allowed to start building a house in Seattle. It's really funny when you look at the code what because you're law. like, you can't possibly be serious right now with this <laughs> jackhammer. And there's always somebody that's that's willing to tell you, oh, no, man, from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., I can, I can shoot shotguns off in your backyard. The law is written by morning people, yes, apparently. Always. But why are they in politics? Morning people are like extroverts. They think everyone is like them. And if you're not, it's an aberration. So I had these little, uh, you know, the kind of foam earplugs you get at concerts or sports events. And they, they weren't doing anything. I know them intimately. But, mi- oh yeah. Uh. I don't think I want to hear this story at <laughs> Here's all. how they work. You have to, you have to twist them up and then stick them. I know. Oh, and then I they expand it. in the canal. Yeah. They still don't do it for me. And I don't know if I have weird ear canals or bad technique, but. 
Everybody thinks that, that they have weird ear canals. Is that true? <laughs> oh, yeah. Who knew this? All, all of the Futurelings listening are like, hmm, you think you have weird ear canals. They probably do have weird ear canals because they're amphibious or right, something. Right. Uh, but uh, Mindy got me these ones on the internet that are just blo- little orbs of silicone gel. And you just like, it seems like terrible practice. You just stick them on the outside of your ear and go splat. And they become the the ear canal shaped plug, no matter what shape your ear canal is. And they are a good seal. Are like, they really? Yeah. And what happens is, I, you know, I'm Can lying. Can you get them out though? Do they have a handle? Yeah. They, yeah. They're, the, 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 they're still a mushroom, okay. you know, the, 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 the silicon ball has become a flat plug right. that then extends into you, like like you could do to other parts of your body, perhaps. Yeah, although, a, fl- a flat plug that extends into you. I'm familiar with the <laughs> sure. subculture. We all own a drawer full of those. But, uh, but no, they're easy to peel off. And it just becomes so quiet that all you can hear is your own oh, breath and pulse. Right. And I fall back asleep and I can just, I would sleep till noon if if. If someone, if I didn't turn my alarm up at some alarmingly high, oh God bless volume. that! Because it's, I guess it's just womb-like. Sure, you're lulled by the by the pulsing of the blood through your ear canals, and I guess that's the music of the spheres. Then, so if you want to sleep sixteen hours a night, just listen to your own, yeah, your, your own blood in your own ear capillaries. No, the the music of the spheres is is Jupiter humming along with Saturn at a level uh, that we can't <laughs> we can't hear, but uh, we can feel. Here, but, you do a different, you be Saturn, I'll be Jupiter. Uh, uh, no, that would be terrible. That was a, <laughs> not a harmonic at all. Uh, I, I, uh, when I was in the Civil Air Patrol in the er, very early 80s, I uh, went on a, an encampment where they flew us there in a C-130, which is an uninsulated uh, transport, transport plane. Yeah, yeah, Tom Cruise is always pe- sitting in these in Mission Impossible movies. And at the you time, sit sideways on benches. That's right, exactly that. And at the time, they did not; they hadn't invented foam earplugs yet. And as we were getting on, you know, we're all lined up in our uniforms, kind of like we're headed off to Vietnam. And as we got on the aircraft, because we were we were loading in through the through the the big ramp that yeah. that comes down at the back, there was a giant block, and all of our all of our the futurelings that that did serve in Vietnam are going to remember this or recognize this. There was a giant block of wax impregnated cotton. It was probably the size of a block of ice sitting on a, a cart. And each kid, as they went by, grabbed, a, and I'm, by kid, I mean teens. We were all teens. You grab a hunk of this waxy. It's, it's just a big communal salt lick of a earplug. Yeah. And it's mostly wax with cotton kind of keeping it shaped. And then you would you'd form a little plug and stick them in your ears. And that was how you could be in that environment. And, um, so I, you know, I did this and of course I'm an overachiever and that kind of thing. Like really, you know, if, if you wanted them to meet in the middle, yeah, if you can, if you can put on two pairs of underpants, why wouldn't you? Right. I mean, always like go, is this a Mac Weldon ad? (laughs) And, uh, and so I did it. And then halfway through the encampment, which was a few weeks long, we're living in barracks at Fort Wainwright and we're marching in the sun and, and shooting guns and stuff. Uh, I, I developed a, a, a really bad cold and, and a sinus infection kind of thing. And uh, so much so that they took me to the infirmary at the, at the, uh, the Air Force Base. And uh, they were looking, you know, trying to look in my ear with the light. And they were like, God, your head is so clogged. We can't even see it. And so they flushed out my head and this giant glob of wax and cotton that I had stuck too far inside my brain 
had gotten up there and it, you know, had, had created an infection. It was a terrible, ugh, terrible, terrible moment in, uh, in life. And so now whenever I stick something inside my ear, I make sure it's bigger than my elbow. Well, you just want to make sure it comes out. Yes. Right. I, I make good sure rule of thumb. I make sure every bit of that foam earplug comes out. First in, out. first out. <laughs> or wait. Yeah, probably. Yeah. First, first in, first out. Or maybe out. first in, last out. Yeah, first in. Well, do you ever do the thing where you peel your earplug a little bit out so that you can hear slightly better? Like halfway through something, you're like, I'm kind of like a little bit more air in one ear. No, but I, sh- I hate them at concerts because yeah. it just makes the music sound like. Which is most bands these days. <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite genre. <laughs> I call it transcore, but it really should be called. <laughs> the music of the spheres. <laughs> The, this particular seeker movement is something I read about in, um, I heard about it in a documentary and I mentioned, somehow I just mentioned offhand to my son that I was going to do it. And he was like, I suggested this for Omnibus months ago. And I was like, no, you didn't. Like, this is a, this is a very obscure thing. And he, he absolutely had. He, he, was came, like, he came out with a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, Leon Festinger, right? And I was like, wait, yes. Leon. Fe-. He was like, I told you, to, you guys should do this on Omnibus. I told you weeks ago. You say this particular seeker movement as though you had to choose this from a variety of seeker movements. At, in the 1950s, and this is going to be a little tricky for our show, because we uh, operate under the assumption that uh, the spacemen exist. Yes. And in fact, we're speaking to a future audience for whom they have long since arrived or been discovered. For whatever reason, they have chosen not to openly contact us until now. Right. Um, yeah, but it's but it feels eminent now or imminent. Feels imminent. Also eminent. They are they could be eminent spacemen. This this Almost story certainly. has some eminent spacemen and imminency. But it does feel even more imminent now, although it is it is consistently felt imminent for most of the second half of the twentieth century. We are certainly closer to the alien arrival than we have ever been. Hmm. Good point. But in the late 40s to early 50s, especially in this country, there was a, a weird national surge of interest and conviction in saucer men. Starting at the Mount Rainier sighting from 47. Yes. Uh, it, it catches the popular imagination, this idea that pilots, and today we say UFOs. UFOs. The idea that, you know, we're seeing, we don't know anything about them. Well, that's not true. We know one thing about them, which is that they are flying. Oh, no. Another thing. They're unidentified. <laughs> I'm quite well, certain. Wait, the third, we know the third thing. They're objects. So I, we know three things about them. I think that's given. Isn't that it, they're objects? Anything you see is an object. Hmm. Do you think well, gonna, no. What about, uh, what about uh, heat waves you in the a, desert? You think it's a concept you're seeing flying around? <laughs> The thing is, it could be, is it a particle or is it a wave, Ken? I just saw Missing My Late Father flying through the air. We know they're not feelings. I just saw my loneliness. I feel like I see my loneliness. Uh, I'm just taking for granted that they're objects. And uh, unidentified, that's not a thing we know about them. That's a thing we don't know about them. Well, there are knowns, knowns, there are known unknowns. This is one of the known unknowns. They are unidentified. And, uh, and that's quite a bit broader than the conception of the 1950s, which is these are not UFOs. These are specifically saucers. Right, right, the right. Saucers are coming. It was very important to them, and to me, in fact, that the spaceships we're seeing look like a, a plate with a, maybe an upside-down plate on top of them keeping the, the pork chop warm. This is, that, that's clearly how the aliens would come. This is partly a result of like the, the, uh, <clears throat> the great developments in, in aerodynamics that had happened during World War II. 
prior to oh, that, yeah. you know, you airplanes were made out of they're clunky and boxy. Yeah, they were made out of gum and fabric, and and now they were made out of stainless steel. And 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 the presumption was we were going to make increasingly sophisticated alloys. They're going to get sleeker and sleeker. Yeah. And what's the end point of that? A, f- a flying disc. Right. No windows. No no a visible means of propulsion. Think about the what a what a propeller airplane looks like compared to a jet aircraft. If you had never seen a jet aircraft, you, your first question would be like, where's the motor? Yeah. So, yeah. This just think, pushes the mysteriousness to yeah. the utmost degree. I mean, 47, we're, this is two years after the, the, we dropped the, the big one. I mean, it's, this is really, I mean, what, can you think of two years ago? Yes. That was the last time we went out to uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> out in public. The last right? time I had pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's exactly true. What you, uh, you think about, um, you think about the past as constantly being a steady state. No, you right. know, like uh, two years ago was a record you think of as new came out. A TV yeah. show you think of as new came on Netflix. So this was all very exciting. And uh, little societies sprung up in cities all over America of people that were fascinated, specifically not in aliens or in ufos as we would say today but in saucers the saucers are out there there are round spaceships with no visible wings and uh our you know i mentioned uh leon festinger whom my son wanted me to introduce to the omnibus is at the time a social psychologist at the university of minnesota and he's very interested in uh failed prophecy he's very interested in um like millenarian movements and apocalyptic movements that uh, were disproven immediately are there a lot of people that are well i i guess there are hundreds of millions of people that are interested in true process as we know from the left behind show like like half of america just assumes that uh that there are very specific uh predictions about the end of the world that are inevitably going to come true and that you should make bad art about. I'm always fascinated that there aren't more Leon Festingers. Like, uh, failed prophecy seems like a thing that we should be teaching in the schools. The problem was all the cases are in the distant past, which is uh, difficult for a social psychologist to study because records are, are fragmentary. Like, he writes about um, Sabatai Zevi, which is a 17th century Jewish messianic movement, which which ended abruptly when the Sultan of Constantinople, uh, so the Ottoman Sultan uh, captured the guy, the self-proclaimed Messiah, and forced him to convert to Islam. Mm-hmm. Throwing him in jail didn't do it. That ke- the movement kept going, but um, of the forced conversion to Islam really cut down his sure. his Jew- European Jewish following. <laughs> sure, and, take the wind uh, out of your sails. And that was it for the you know in America. Most famously, you've got the Millerites of the 19th century. These uh, I guess started in Ohio. A preacher who read one particular verse of the Bible and said, "Hey, if this number refers to years." And if this scripture was actually from the the year, you know, 587, as I now believe, um, that means the world will end in uh, around 1843, 1844, depending on how the vagaries of the Jewish calendar. Right. And people went nuts for this. People, New Englanders stopped planting their crops, and the ones with crops stopped harvesting their crops, because why bother? Right. 1843 to 44. End of the world. Uh, it's right there. And I don't want to, you know, our listeners probably don't remember what year the world ended. It's probably, to, to them, the difference between the actual date in 1843 is rounding error. But spoilers, the world did not end in 1843 or 44. Right. Um, and the movement abruptly fell apart, but there were no social psychologists around yeah. to be like, hey, what, what's with you guys? 
Right. And um, this was before Bo Peep, uh, you know, followed Halley's Comet into, oh, right. into outer space. Well, that was uh, the 80s. Oh, that was Hale, Comet Hale Bop, right? In Hale, the 90s. Oh, Hale Bop. That's what it was. Yeah. Right. Uh, and the Heaven's Gate, yeah. the Heaven's Gate cult. Right. Right. Um, and so back then, one thing we may not remember about the early days of the saucer movement is there was a weird religious overlay. Was there? Yeah, because people, it was all a blending, this seems like a John Roderick show. At the time, there were just a whole lot of surging currents of Rosicrucianism and Christian mysticism and theosophy and... Is that, is that an impression of me? (laughs) Yeah, that's my, that's my John Roderick voice. (laughs) He sounds untinged. Uh, But this is, uh, this is what's happening. The people who were into religion and, you know, kind of maybe the apocalyptic angle or maybe the, just the mystical angle suddenly find themselves getting more and more and you would think an opposite impulse to either be getting more and more mystic and getting into occult stuff or getting more and more sciencey and getting into the saucer men. But in fact, often it's all one thing. Wow. I just assumed that, that it was that all Air Force pilots. Yeah. UFOs were always like a science based cult. No, it was and, all Methodists. Wow. Okay. It was all, right. all. Go on, go on. It was all Methodists getting wacky. Um, F. Scott Fitzgerald in his. Um, I bet you didn't expect that transition. In his declining years? No, in his 19th... 19- <laughs> he was dead already. Yeah, there were no second acts for that guy uh, because of all the cocktails. No, in his 1945 or his 1936 essay, The Crack Up, he famously wrote, the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed idea in the mind at the same time and uh, still retain the ability to function. You've probably that, heard this that was That was Fitzgerald? It I was. mean, uh, I, that, that feels like something that you see stenciled on the wall in elementary schools now uh facebook memes maybe how how have you interpreted that quote that a first only a first-rate intelligence can hold two opposed ideas in mind and and keep going i mean it does feel a little bit uh like uh, a counter to people shouting um both sides at boomers as a way of saying okay boomer the kind of both sides in scare quotes uh, it's a you know counter argument to that. You should be able to understand not only the virtues of your own opinion, but the other yeah. ideology and the opposing one. Right. You can. I mean, it doesn't mean that you you ascribe to two opposing viewpoints, but just that you can hold right. the two of them in your mind without coming apart. And I think that's how it's often used uh, in Fitzgerald's essay. In context, um, he kind of sees it as a dichotomy between you know different parts of the mind. You know between. For example, realizing that things are bad and yet still having hope or working to make them better. Yeah, you know, right. like there's a the emotional or spiritual component to your to your goals, despite the gloomy factualities. Or, or in my case, not believing in ghosts on one hand, and also leaving the lights on anytime I spend the night in a Vermont farmhouse. Well, the quote gets used to show, uh, you know, that the human mind is a complicated place where. You, you can't pretend you have some overarching architecture. The architecture may, in fact, be the illusion that, in fact, you have all these weird impulses, many of which contradict. Right. And you're just trying to, wh- whoever the you is, whatever the overriding consciousness is, is just trying to create some sense of order out of that that gets you functioning. Unfortunately, Fitzgerald uses that language that my, my dad's family always used, a first-rate a first rate intelligence, which just sort of discredits the whole, because it feels... Because they were all extremely racist. Yeah, it just feels like <laughs> phrenology. <laughs> um, so Festinger is very interested in this idea of how these two... What happens when these two... When two inconsistent ideas collide. The Millerites are sure 
that the world is going to end on a certain date in 1843, and then, spoilers, the sun comes up on Tuesday. Right. We'll, on January 1st, 19, or 1844. And for a while, the, by the way, the Millerites ended up like kind of pushing, kicking the can. Oh, They're sure. like, well, the Jewish calendar is very confusing. <laughs> so maybe it's December. Yeah. Okay, now it's 1844. But the Jewish calendar is very confusing <laughs> in, our, in our defense. Uh, so there was a lot of this. And it ended up, um, the end result of this whole thing was the movement collapse. But we got Seventh-day Adventists out of it. Oh, thank goodness. The Adventist movement is kind of the, the, the remnants of Millerism. And they're still kicking the can down the road? Oh, apparently. The, <laughs> the world Jewish is, calendar is very confusing. The world is still... I, they, I think they've left behind that kind of um, specific kind of millenarianism. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing about prophecy. It will eventually be falsifiable. We do have Adventist futurelings because we've heard from them. They're all in Loma Linda and they gather... Every Saturday, no, not Saturday, they gather every Sunday, which to them is just a regular day, and they listen to the show. Right. They listen to two omnibuses every Sunday, which, while saying, to, do, to us, this is an extremely normal day and not the Sabbath. <laughs> they just say that repeatedly. That's their mantra. Stores should be open. Uh, but, you know, so uh, it's, most religion is not falsifiable, and you can, if you're a non-believer, you, you assume that's by design, Right. That, uh, Are you asking me as a non-believer? Yeah, you would. It's not falsifiable. What do you mean? Uh, you, th- there's no experiment I can perform to see if God exists. I see. I see what you mean. Yeah, that's right. And that's what keeps religion going in an increasingly scientific and uh, what objective age is is this? It morphs into something because you know that would not have been true of the ancient Greeks who were like, oh yeah, that volcano erupted because the monster Typhon and Echidna are down there and they're they're getting it on in a really weird position. And that's why there's... Right. Gradually, you could debunk that. Right. As stuff gets debunked... But you cannot prove that Bo Peep did not follow the Hellbop comet to a waiting spaceship that was waiting behind the moon. His physical body did not. Right. But but our physical bodies are just chimera. Right. And often that happens as well. Retroactively, you take on a spiritual... Uh, you, you, you ascribe a spiritual interpretation to the prophecy... Even though the world didn't end, I think there is a, in the Jehovah's Witness movement. I think there's some of that. They came out of a 19th century apocalyptic movement, and I think their solution was actually the world did end, but uh, yes. but on a, in a spiritual sense. Time is a flat circle, and there's going to be some of that in our stories. Well, because there's not a lot of options for the religious for the person of faith when uh, things pro- don't seem to happen. Right. Yeah. Like in my own in my own tradition, um, I feel like uh, in early 20th century Mormons were convinced that. Uh, archaeologists in the jungles of Mesoamerica would eventually find... Christian churches. Would, yeah, would find Book of Mormon-type Christianity. Right. And... It didn't happen. Uh, spoilers, that also did not happen. <laughs> and, you know, to, you know to, a, to a modern Latter-day Saint, looking back, that just seems crazy. What would be the point of a religious movement if, it, if, if suddenly there's... <laughs> or everyone would join, right? surely, if, if there were... But I've seen them. I've seen the murals in the Mormon bookstores in in Utah. I mean, that still is part of the cosmology. Oh, sure. I mean, the the, the Book of Mormon is still essential to Mormonism. But I think now the assumption is, but you know, God has arranged much yes. as He has everything else in His universe. Right. He has arranged it so that there are no outward uh, proofs or disproofs of His presence. Yes, that's God's ultimate trick. You know, and that's that's true of every religious tradition. It's like, well, yes, He's concealed in yon heavens, but right. the Mormons have to say and. Also, there are some Mesoamerican ruins equally concealed. <laughs> he's goofing on them. <laughs> please, please do not ask for the follow-up. It's questions. like Wakanda. He's got a he's got a bubble around it. That's a, that's excellent. Yeah. Yes, it is. Take it that is. back to your uh, to to temple. Hey Spread guys, guys, uh, 
<laughs> Do you know who John Roderick is? He says it's like Wakanda. They'll love that, I'm sure. Right on. High five. Um, so we live in an era of kind of uh, fluffy, unfalsifiable religion where um, God is love and what can you what right. can you do about that be here now um but that's a new addition to religion and some of these religious americans of the 40s and 50s these nice eisenhower era doctors and housewives and plant managers wanted to uh, connect this to presbyterianism <laughs> they wanted it all to be together they wanted jesus and they wanted the saucer man and they wanted Atlantis and astral energies and, you know, all this kind of 19th century spiritualism and theosophy. And I can talk to my dead mother and, right. you know, they wanted it all. This well, is the, America in the fifties. <laughs> it's post-war America. You should get it all, not just commercially, but also philosophically. It's 100% true today. It's just now people are trying to combine Buddhism and, sure. and ancient religion and UFOs and, 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 and also capitalism, like hustle, right. hustle capitalism. And it, it, it's all the same thing. Um, no, sir, it is, Buddhism is not the same as uh, your self-help book about but, your business. But. I mean, you honestly could not convince my sister that, that all of this isn't uh, related and equally sort of true, and, and also that it debunks Christianity. Yeah, it, it debunks the other narrow-minded philosophies, right. but also it has everything that people like about them. Yes, and, and it, has, um, it has transubstantiation, but, but a different style. Um, She's a cannibal. <laughs> the modern, the modern one, where you, where yeah, the 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 body of Christ is actually quinoa. Uh, yeah, that's right. Ve- vegetarian uh, candles. What a dumb hacky thing I said. Quinoa. <laughs> just say kale, Ken. Did, oh wait, did, I, did you say quinoa? No, I didn't. I said oh. I said quinoa, but I just think that's a dumb joke. Well, quinoa would have been a very Ken joke. That too uh, too much. Hat on a <laughs> even hat. for you, Gil- gilding the lily. <laughs> In September of 1954, Dr. Festinger, a social psychologist interested in the end of the world, is uh, reading in a local Chicago paper. Um, I don't know which one because, confusingly, I have read Dr. Festinger's case study of this called When Prophecy Fails. And he, in the manner of psychological uh, 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 case studies, he changes all the names of people and places. But also of newspapers? But Yeah, he, re- he read this in the Lake City Herald, which I can only assume is the Chicago Tribune or the Chicago Sun-Times. But he literally gives Chicago a fake name, which is a bit much because he's, he's discussing a story that becomes national news over the next four months. And this was a style uh, of Maybe social Fro- psychology? Yeah, to- Freud, if you read Freud's case studies, he's always talking about, you know, Dora or Helga N or Patient M. Or, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. he doesn't want to say this was... Uh, um, your next door. This neighbor. was yeah, Brigitte von Schwarzengergen of of uh, Heiligestrasse twenty eight. So I've been trying to you know I've I've been trying to write a book for a long time, and it always ends up being autobiography because I don't know any other stories. Uh, partly because my stories are are better. Than You've the read other all stories. the other books, but yeah. yours is better. Mine is better. So why? But unfortunately, if I name all the names, all these people are still alive. None of them are going to want that story told. So I've been trying to. Uh, give everybody a fake name, but at a certain point it starts to be a novel. If you're just giving everybody a fake name, that's what happens. That's uh, how, how many novels do you think on the road is? Yeah, right. Is exactly that. There's so, no cell paradise. So I'm just wondering once you start to novelize a thing, why not give them superpowers or why not have some of them die when, you know, like why not really turn it into a novel? I mean, once you're going to novelize it, you can definitely have the plot arcs work out nicer. Yeah. You can have, you know, fix up the chronology so that, you know, the guy's mom actually does die the night of the big concert or whatever. Right, right. 
Yes. Uh, in this case, uh, because he's an academic, he keeps scrupulous dates about everything and, inclu- and, you know, and the news clippings, but he just changes all the names. He's talking about a woman named Marion Keach, who in reality was Dorothy Martin of Oak Park, Illinois. She was a... Dorothy Martin is a more plausible name than Marilyn Keach. Mary, Marion Keach. Yeah, why do, you pick, Keech. why do you pick a weirder name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, so to this day, like, I, I know all these people. I, I kind of feel like I know all these cult members from this book. But I, I only know their fake uh-huh. social psychology names, <laughs> with a couple exceptions, the ones who actually made the paper. So she lives in Oak Park, uh, you know, near some cool Frank Lloyd Wright architecture, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the house that our friend Peter Sagal lives in today. I, he's the only Oak Parkian I know. Right. Oak uh, Park well, is not where uh, Ferris Bueller took place. That was further out, right? That, what's that suburb called? Uh, people are people are yelling at the podcast yeah, right yeah, now. That's the it's the name of the high school where they shot that breakfast club. I don't yeah. remember. You can feel good at home by remembering the name of the John Hughes suburb. We love to throw you these softballs. This is a similarly Tony Chicago suburb. Um, but but uh, closer in and nicer. And Marion Keach lives, uh, Dorothy Martin, lives a comfortable life uh, with her husband. Uh, but the Chicago, sorry, the Lake City Herald reports in September 1954 that she has become convinced that the end of the world is coming in December, that a vast inland sea is about to form connecting Hudson Bay and uh, uh, the Gulf of Mexico. So pretty much all of the eastern United States will be underwater. But a, but 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 uh, that's a that's a prehistoric sea that did exist. It's true. Yeah. Like the same tectonic, you know, a reversal of the tectonic events that raised up North America will will sink it Atlantis style. The eastern seaboard will um, be annihilated. Seattle down to Chile, she says, will also be flooded. How? Um, but specifically, the uh, how? Yeah, Seattle isn't going to be flooded. We sit up on a hill. <laughs> It's gonna, the seas would have to really, really, really. Well, rise. this this is the this is the point of the news article. Head for the hills, like Lake Michigan right. or or Great Lake. He anonymizes Lake Michigan because he doesn't want Lake Michigan to be offended. Festinger calls it Great Lake. Will rise, and if you're not up in the Appalachians, uh-huh. people get mad at me when I say Appalachian. Yeah. So let's see if they get mad when I say Appalachian. <laughs> okay, they will. Uh, I'm mad. Then you're going. Then you will be uh, destroyed on December twenty first, nineteen fifty four. Now, two questions: Was it common knowledge? Uh, was prehistoric geology common knowledge? Uh, what were these seas understood to have once existed, or was that? Yes, by this time we're okay. well aware that uh, you know you find marine fossils in, right, in right, the right. Nevada desert, and you're, it doesn't take much. Second question: Why did this uh, reporter from the Sun Times? Uh, start reporting on this one woman that has a crazy theory or was this now was she an acolyte of a of a larger group she had contacted the paper and you know newspapers love this sort of thing i looked up some 50 seattle times to see if it made if this made the local papers and it did but it's all next to just crazy stuff about uh a man in india was uh, placed in a funeral pyre at his death and he started to talk and ask for water he was still alive and when there's just a few lines left at the bottom of a column it'll be like the Gobi Desert is 400,000 square miles. I remember Do, do you remember this. these little this slugs the they would best. put in? I loved those at the end of news articles. This needs to be its own omnibus. When yeah. did those end? I don't. Well, when newspapers ended. <laughs> yeah, this ended a year ago. No, I, I, I... Is it your lifetime? Do you remember seeing these? Oh, absolutely. It was in the newspaper until the 80s, at least. The little the little things at the end of a column that, that the New Yorker would put a little cartoon. Yeah. But in newspapers, it was... A little, there little was just some moments. fun fact yeah. about... Uh, King Henry the Seventh once remarked while eating his uh, turkey leg. Yeah, it'll just but be some of them were current like news items. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh okay. yeah, and, the, yeah and, and news of the weird. Yeah. So you know the newspaper, the Lake City Herald, the Chicago whatever, loves this news of the weird thing. Oh, December twenty first, nineteen fifty four. 
um, Chicago will be flooded. This is catnip to a local paper. Mm -hmm. And you're asking where she comes from. In fact, she has a, a lifetime of involvement in um, you know, the leftover 19th century stuff, you know, spiritualism and Ouija boards and theosophy uh, uh, filtered through Dianetics. She has come from oh. what was about to become Scientology. And Scientology is kind of the left, you know, we think of it as just this improbable thing that a random pulp author avoided taxes by creating a religion. They're not listening. Almost certainly some of them are Do you listening. think they're in your Alexa? Well, well, don't say that either. No, no, I'm going to say something nice about them. Okay. And, and then somehow rose from that bizarre origin story to become a, a, a great world religion that counts all the great movie stars amongst its members. Sure. We but it's illegal in Germany. We, but it's illegal in the EU. <laughs> we think of this as an oddity, but in fact, it's just a, it's an unsurprising result of this mishmash of religion and space culture that was happening in oh, sure. post-war America. Sure. Uh, and Hubbard helped advance that, obviously. He helped. You know, because he, uh, he, you know, he creates this this ancient history of a space war that that results in a modern spiritual movement. And uh, Dorothy Martin, the uh, AKA Marianne Keach, loves all this stuff. And when UFOs start to appear in the paper, she starts to um, just lump that in with her her Dianetics clearing her Alpha Gram test results and her need to contact the dead. And she, in particular, let me let me just yeah. ask you. I, I know you're the uh, for for our show. You're the Scientology expert. I don't think I am. Um, but Dianetics was written in 1950. That seems about right. And so, but but uh, it, and Dianetics as a term for the movement, I think, kind of predates Church of Scientology, which they would right. use today. It was it was kind of a borderline self help movement at first. But it wouldn't have. But it was a response to UFOs. He wasn't writing about UFOs prior. I mean, he was writing about them as science fiction, but he wasn't. He didn't have this whole universe of uh, uh, of real UFOs until after they started showing up around Mount Rainier. Yeah, right? like, yeah. It you know, it's a it's an offshoot of this kind of melange, and it's just the surviving one, the okay. melange of pulp sci fi and spirituality. That was pretty common in suburban America in the fifties, right? Right, and, and right. For, or at least judging by Festinger's book, got it. Um, Martin's own uh, experience with the supernatural comes in the form of automatic writing. It's you know it's essentially a Ouija board but with a pen. You just sit, and eventually you know you you move your hand, and eventually you start getting messages from the other side. Right. In her case, it starts out being uh, dead relatives. You know, her dad's on the astral plane and uh, wants to know how the flowers in his in his garden are doing. This is how you write your books, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, this is actually a, a writer's trick is just to start writing or typing gibberish uh, just to get over the, oh, what do I, what's my first sentence? And right. then eventually as ideas coalesce, you just go back and get rid of the gibberish. Subtractive. Yeah. Writing is sculpting. You know, <laughs> write everything and then scrape away the stuff that is not your book. Um, but by March, because of her interest in, her past interest in Dianetics and, and Hubbard's uh, cosmology, um, her communications into her pen stop coming from the dead on the astral plane and start coming from the planet's clarion in the constellation Sirius. Sirius. Oh. These advanced space civilizations where uh, first someone called the Elder... It transitions from kind of theosophy type stuff, from her dad to a, a weird uh, a spirit guide called the Elder Brother 
and then to a guy called Sanandra on planet Clarion. Now, how can who is you... one of the galactic guardians who who is, keeps an eye on on um, uh, blooming civilizations like ours? How can you tell if you start hearing uh, voices like this, so communications? How can you tell the difference between a Ramtha that's five thousand years old, or however old Ramtha is? And what was his name? Uh, Sanandra of Sanan- Planet Clarion. Sanandra from Clarion. Like, it's, it would seem like, honestly, why aren't they talking to each other? Why, don't they, why, <laughs> why are they talking? <laughs> I mean, you can tell who they are because you can ask. Like, uh, oh, I see. Like, in, even Festing, even the academic studying this is convinced that Martin believed every word, that this was not coming from her head. I mean, clearly it is a synthesis. You know, to us, looking back, it's a, it seems to be a synthesis of, of L. Ron Hubbard and... Right. The saucer, the stuff she's hearing at her flying saucer club, and and stuff she grew up hearing at church, and but to her, it's all coming from without. And if Sanandra says he's Sanandra, then, um, you know, he's Sanandra. I'm always very suspicious of this type of thing, but then there are still people out there that will argue against the the zipper merge, and so I realize that yeah, people have various insanities. Yeah, we're, we're, we're believers in the zipper merge. Yes. That's our religion. Yes, zipper merge. And, and Seattle is not. No. Seattle will merge a mile before the zipper merge. Yeah, Seattle, because ha- Seattle thinking it's thoughtful. <laughs> Seattle just slams on its brakes at the point of merge, confused and bewildered. Many factual findings are counterintuitive. Right. And that, I guess, gives people a lot of leeway to say uh, Jesus is now Sinandra, because that's who Sinandra reveals himself to be. By, oh. by the way, I'm also the historical Jesus, he says <gasps> at one point. Okay, so now this is dovetailing with a philosophy that my mother started to espouse in the 1950s. Ooh, I'm into this. Which was that all the world religions were the product of UFO uh, interventions throughout the course of time, and also that evolution uh, had been manipulated by extraterrestrials as a way, you know, they would come, they'd come kind of jumpstart it, or when, when, you know, when when lizards would start to morph back into moss. The UFOs would come and like gently shepherd nudge them away from yeah, the pond, nudge them toward toward monkeys. Well, we may be talking to listeners for whom that has happened. Mm. But does your mom still b- believe in all this? Uh, my mom and sister reinforce one another's belief in the oneness and trueness of all kooky things. They both live very rational lives in the rational world, and you could interact with them every day. Nobody's they, more down to earth than your mom. Oh, yeah. She's just out there doing, you know, she understands that if you prune a plant, it grows back better. Her checkbook is balanced to the nearest cent at all times. It is, but she, but she also, and you would not know it, but she also ascribes to uh, an astonishing, um, like a cornucopia of, of kooky ideas. Uh, that she's that she's held since the fifties. So I'm I'm now seeing kind of the environment. I always wondered what it was. It's not her. She, what? It's, not, it's not an oddity. This was normal middle class Levittown Americans. Yeah. Wow. Um, and this is the kind of thing that uh, Sanandra Jesus now going by his new now that he's on one of these higher density planes. Uh, he's advanced to. He's now going by the name of Sanandra, and he tells her things like... Because of the density? How does the density f- factor into they're it? Always, this, this particular group of seekers is always talking about the uh, how uh, these other planets are not just out in space. They exist on higher density planes. You are my density. And, and somehow that the density of the matter also conveys the gravity of their truth. Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, and Sanandra tells her things like, go tell the world 
that we have at last contacted the Earth planet with the waves of ether that have become tactable by the bombs your scientists have been exploding. This works like an accordion. Well, of course it does. Right. When the condens... I mean, it goes without saying. It's music of the spheres. When the condensation... <laughs> Who knew the music of the spheres was Weird Al? <laughs> when the condensation leaves the carceous level of the ether, or atmosphere levels that support a large light layer of marine life, it causes a barrier to be set up. Duh. Now that the bombs have broken that barrier, we can break through. So Hiroshima has allowed Sanandra to contact her. Oh. Now, uh, this is what your scientists call the sonic barrier. Mm. Hmm. We have been trying to get through for many of your years with alcetopes and the Erling timer. They, they couldn't get through the sound barrier until... The, the alcetopes failed. The, the, er, Erling the, timer the Erling timer failed. It's all turbo encabulator. <laughs> it's a funny mix of like 50s technical manual speak, which is now starting to enter the American mind, yeah. and religious scripture. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is how Sanandra talks. Now, uh, Martin's husband is very patient with her endless array of kooky newsletters. She keeps mimeographed newsletters, but he's also not receptive. He's not a convert. So she starts to assemble a group of like-minded housewives. They come over. She makes some 50s uh, fruit salad, and then, you know, she'll do automatic writing for them and tell them what Sanandra thinks. But her husband, is he works at General Motors and has a pocket protector. He's at the plant rolling his eyes. Uh, and one of the, and eventually, you know, many of these people slough off, but she kind of gets a small group of local Oak Park residents who are, who see her as a, as an advanced mind. Sure. Uh, as an enlightened soul. This happens a lot. You know, uh, there's a woman in my neighborhood who walks around with a leaf blower blowing like imperceptible quantities of pine needles out of the, Invisible and it's just, pine it's just that she's a, she's a bored, uh, like housewife and doesn't, she hasn't yet found automatic writing. This is an interesting uh, a take in which we can blame the patriarchy and, you know, embedded American misogyny Thank for, um, uh, you know, an array of uh, of kind of atypical and uh, unconventional religious movements. We've finally brought it back around to the, to the omnibus core uh, hot take. Although religions were weirder in a time when people had less leisure time. So now I think my theory is falling uh, apart, right. right? Like medieval people believed plenty of weird stuff without a <laughs> right and they had to work all without time. valium you know <laughs> uh word of martin's little circle reaches uh the armstrongs as they are called in this book um who work in collegeville <laughs> in fact these, this is dr charles lofhead and his wife who work in east lansing michigan but, okay. but for some reason collegeville usa Festinger calls it collegeville usa near steel city or i guess lansing uh-huh. uh and they are big ufo people they are national level UFO people. They were actually a, a Christian missionary couple for just some nice liberal denomination. Um, at some point during their mission to Egypt, Mrs. Lofhead had a breakdown. She starts to have terrible dreams about sharp objects and blood, and uh, and uh, that kind of sends them down a path of increasingly mystical strands of Christianity, the Rosicrucians and the Knights Templar and the uh, Illuminati. Right, all our favorites. Yeah, and from thence into increasingly kind of occult, new agey stuff and into UFO circles, which seems to be the hot new one. Right. So they land on UFOs and their church tells them, hey, you've got to stop using our basement for this. And right. they're like, well, <laughs> fine, we'll do, we'll do it at our house. So they, they kind of move away from establishment Christianity into the world of saucer men. And they, they go travel the country meeting other... Uh, contactees, as, as people would say, when people who had met the UFOs. Oh, because this is pre-UFOs um, coming and stealing you out of your pickup truck the in the desert. This is the beginning of it. Okay. This is the beginning of it. Like, okay. they go to California to meet a guy named George Adamski, who says, hey, uh, 
um, of an, a guy from Venus landed right here and came out of his saucer and talked to me. And you can see his footprint right here. And everybody's taken Polaroids of the Venusian footprint. And Dr. Lothhead or Armstrong is fascinated by the footprint and is sure it encodes information. Like he starts to see symbols that uh, from some of his esoteric readings, he associates with the lost continents of Atlantis and Lemuria and Mu. So he starts to bring ancient civilizations into this single footprint. He's clearly, uh, but at all the same time, at the same time, he's just some campus doctor at, at uh, what's in East Lansing? Some Michigan State? Yeah, maybe? Michigan State, right? So he, he's just some campus doctor at Michigan State. When you read direct quotes from these people, they all talk like just button-downed Eisenhower era men with, uh, with uh, you know, khaki pants, khaki or khaki pants and... You know, maybe the wife in, in dungarees up to her shins. Right. I mean, my mom went to Ohio State and was a computer programmer. So they're, they live among us, Ken. These are just normal people, normies, uh, and they think the saucers are coming. And he hooks up with Dorothy Martin. He's impressed that she's getting direct messages from one of these, from one of these higher vibratory frequencies. Uh-huh. And so they begin to, uh, they start to meet weekly. As a new little secret, he's got his own secret group in Collegeville, but he drives down to Oak Park. Sorry, in Collegeville, East Lansing. He drives down to Oak Park to meet with uh, to meet with Dorothy Martin's group, and they kind of center on this. You know, a, a, the automatic writing builds on itself, so it becomes increasingly um, specific. Uh-huh. Uh, the the tenets seem to be that there are advanced planetary beings up there, include you know, including the historical Jesus and and, and his fellow guardians. Whose tur- turbo encabulators couldn't penetrate the sound barrier, but now they can. Yes, thanks to the atomic bomb, the Erling timer, and the uh, uh, what was it? The isotopes are now working, and so now they can tell us about uh, what we need to do to advance as a species. They are instructors in the Los Solo, a, a cosmic university. Lots of made-up turbo encabulator words. Um, who are here to prepare us for the big change? Yes, right. Um, and, and this becomes like a central idea of of UFO scholarship or, or why they haven't contacted us yet. Yes. Cause we need to be prepared. We're not ready. Right. right. Yeah, otherwise I'll blow our minds. They'd be everywhere. And so it's very flattering if you're a contactee, because right, it means right. you're one of the ones that the higher vibratory frequency can commune with. Uh, right. And, a superior intelligence. Yes. First rate intelligence. And so, <laughs> the sign of a first rate <laughs> intelligence is knowing that Venusian footprints have secret Atlantean languages. <laughs> uh, and specifically that there's a disaster coming. Um, uh, Sanandra reveals that there's there was an ancient war. This all seems very L. Ron Hubbard between on, on an ancient planet between a science a group of scientists led by a guy named Lucifer and Whoa. and uh, Sanandra. You know the cosmic beings we think of as God. Right. And uh, of but course, they were not arguing over human souls. They were arguing over over the Erling timer and the isotopes. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. It's exactly that. It's okay. it's some dangerous because this is the atom. This is the atomic era. Yeah. The scariest thing anybody can think of is the atomic bomb. So what if another planet had a had a squabble over their equivalent of that? Well, and this is this is absolutely echoed in all of this new age theory, which is that yeah, religion was a primitive society, primitive minds that they were reaching toward, uncomprehending what they were seeing, the things that science now teaches us. Right. Yeah, so all, they they thought one. they thought it was a flaming chariot, but it was really a saucer. Exactly. Right. Ezekiel saw the saucer man. Um, so, uh, but Sinandra won that war and now, uh, you know, Lucifer has been cast down, but you know, he still has an influence. So you got to watch out for the bad messages. Sure. He's plotting. But I, Sinandra, I'm going to warn you that the floodwaters are coming on December 21st. Of what um, year? Of 1954. Okay. Just, we're just four months out from, from, uh, Dr. Festinger reading this story in the Lake City. Herald, so whatever. wait, it was Elvis. <laughs> yeah. Rock and roll was the change. <laughs> exactly. Uh, 
so they, you know, and, and Martin is now spending 14 hours a day doing this automatic writing. And uh, it's, it's not, I guess it's not until August that the global catechism is, is revealed. Uh, the previous day, she and some of her followers have driven out to what Festinger called Lions Field. I don't know. What would an Air Force base be near Chicago in the 50s? Some Oh, White Patterson? Oh, it's probably Red Patterson. Like, that would be close enough. Right. Uh, anyway, to some nearby Air Force base where she has, the automatic riding has told her that um, the saucer is going to come and they're going to see a saucer landing. Now, the saucer does not come, but a strange man does come walking down the road and, and uh, pierce them with a piercing gaze and they offer him sandwiches and fruit juice and he kind of says some, some portentous things and they turn back to the car to get him a slice of watermelon. Sure, sure. As you do. Right. And when they turn around... The man is gone. Bleep lorp. And they are beside themselves with joy that they have seen one of the space uh, Venusian. And this happens multiple times in this story. Just a random passerby with probably nothing interesting to say or do. Right. Um, Writes a hobo sign on a, 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 with chalk on a fence. <laughs> that's, that's the in, uh, language of ancient Lemuria. And no, and they assume that this is, this is who Sinandra has sent, whom Sinandra has sent. Okay. Be, and it's largely because the other more grandiose things, the saucers and the floods, Spoilers, do not come. The world does not end on December 21st, 1954. I hate to ruin the ending. Are these beings gendered? I would think so. I mean, they, their assumption would have been, yes. I mean, maybe they wouldn't have even have thought to ask in 1954. Yeah, I right. Think, but they do use male pronouns okay. when they refer to them. And there's no, uh, there are no female uh, con- uh, 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 spirit guides that, that are communicating to them. Although at one point... Um, Sinandra starts telling everybody who their reincarnated souls are, and they are all New Testament. All these little people at her house in Oak Park are prominent New Testament figures. Um, Dr. Lofhead is actually the Apostle Paul, and Mary and herself, or Dorothy herself, is told that she's Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, so They're going to run out of biblical females pretty fast. That's the problem, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad she picked Mary early. <laughs> So, but once they hear on August second that they've there's only what five more months of civilization to go, they start sending mimeograph letters to to papers, and that's when Doctor Festinger sees this. And the papers really there's no public notice. There's no rush of new acolytes. The media attention dies down after a day. Um, but Doctor Festinger sees it, and he and a fellow academic kind of stop swing by the house to see what the vibe is because this is their chance to see one of these disconfirmable prophecies in the making. Yeah, right. She's she's writing it out in real time. She's got a he has a theory about what will happen when one of these prophecies is not confirmed. And that is that actually um fervor and especially proselytization will increase after the prophecy fails, which seems paradoxical. But we see that happen. Yeah, and I think his his exp- his mechanism would be that the person is now forced to have the Fitzgerald problem of I believed in the saucers, but they didn't come. I need to reinforce the belief to bring some kind of consistency back. And I will do that by trying to, I'll stick to the social group that, that, that all believes that. And I will try to increase that social group because that will make my ideas de facto more sensible if more people are interested in them. So when will this episode of Omnibus air in our present calendar? Uh, the end of August. So by this point in time, Donald Trump may have been reinstated as the president of the United States, right? QAnon is exactly the same. A series of, you'd think, disconfirmable prophecies that keep failing. Right. The inauguration, you know, the insurrection will work. Okay, it didn't work. But the inauguration won't happen. Okay, the inauguration happened. But there was a secret second inauguration. 
okay, Biden's in the Oval Office. But actually, that's just a front because Trump is running the country from Florida. You know, the can get, it just yeah, keeps right. getting kicked. Right. So, yeah, you're exactly right. We see the same thing today. And maybe, I don't know, the, did the proselytization increase with some of these failures? Maybe. Well, uh, yeah, I think that's QAnon's where— QAnon's <laughs> numbers are not dropping. I mean, I, I don't know if we have a, depend, or a, a reliable source for QAnon numbers, but Seventh-day Adventism survives. <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe QAnon will somehow leave the, uh, they'll keep whatever they see as the core of their movement, but they'll say, sure, Trump never reassumed the presidency, but a deeper truth was revealed, which was. Yeah. And that's what we're going to see here when the, uh, when the UFOs don't come. So Fester and one of his colleagues shows up at the house and they immediately take them to be spacemen. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the cult thinks of the the academics are, and again this keeps happening that they keep sending in student observers to try to get notes on these guys and every time it happens uh they the uh observers end up kind of inadvertently changing history by you know right. they'll, they'll you know they'll say hey do you have a message for us and they'll try to say something non-committal at first they send them in with cover stories uh one one uh, observer is sent in with a story of having been in mexico and giving an old lady a ride and she disappears from the back of the car. It's, a, it's an old-timey vanishing hitchhiker. Oh, because they're sent legend. in as, as, uh, as like, uh, spies. Yeah, they have cover stories. Like, I hey, see. I read about your movement. I'm really interested. And, of course, they're working for the University of Minnesota. But what they say is, um, my husband works at IBM, and I'm really interested in your ideas. Right, I see. And, and they, all have some, they all have to have some kind of experience that makes them open to this kind of thing. But the, the Minnesota guys don't want to make the stories too good. Yep. Because that would... It's confirmation. That of, would, yeah. yeah. But it, it turns out no matter how little they do, it becomes confirmation to the, to the seekers that, um, oh, look at these two new people. Our movement is growing. Or, uh, hey, this person uh, says, um, uh, I'm here to listen. Uh, that's exactly what Sinandra said last week, that you know, people will want to listen. You know? So and I, you I just wonder, cannot win. I wonder if any of the researchers were susceptible enough. I mean, I think if I if I was sent in as a spy to an organization and they were like, "You're here. The 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 prince of the UFOs." You know, I might be I might be like, "Huh. Yeah, actually, I'll have another piece of watermelon." <laughs> the observers have a very tough life because not only do they have to just kind of walk this line of seeming like interested uh, receptive members without advance without changing the direction of the movement, but they also have to keep notes and right and, and there's no uh at the moment martin and her cronies are not allowing any kind of recording sinandra has said you can't r- even write down my stuff so they're sneaking into the bathroom or out to their cars in the dead of night um to keep kind of a, an academic survey of what's going on and eventually there's a thousand pages of notes 65 hours of of tape of the observers kind of in the bathroom kind of whispering what sinandra is saying on on which day and the accounts of the meetings are hilarious because it's it's this new age stuff overlaid over the most mundane fifties American bridge nights you can imagine. Like they'll get together and they'll say a prayer and then they will see what the guardians of Clarion in the constellation of Cirrus um, want to do. They'll discuss whether or not they're going to write a letter to Eisenhower. Um, they'll talk, the men will kind of split aside and talk about football. <laughs> they'll talk about college football and then they'll all get back together and, and talk about, um, you know, what they're going to wear in the spaceships. Uh, one of the one of the women makes um, UFO cakes, little uh, cupcakes that look like the UFO, and then a cake that looks like the mothership. Oh, I want to go to this party. It's just this unbelievable, you know, but very easy to imagine yeah. kind of dovetailing of 
of right. suburb new suburban America with Jello uh, pudding and yeah, right. Jello pudding and Venusian footprints. They don't smoke. They don't eat meat. Um, it's a small group, maybe thirty three members coming and going, but only eight of them are are really committed. Um, but they're convinced that the Earth is going to end in a few months, and like. At first, the idea is, oh, we'll just head for the Appalachians. And later, Sanandra refines that to, no, uh, flying saucers will come and pick you up. Oh, good, good, good. Which is much nicer, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not that long of a trip to the Appalachians, but far enough. Yeah. If the, if the UFOs are going to land on your street in Oak Park, just take the lift. Yeah, sure. Right? Um, so like the Millerites of the 19th century, these guys stop. Um, some of them quit their jobs. They stop plowing their fields. They stop studying for, they stop, they, they do the equivalent. They stop studying for finals, the, the students. Um, they, they don't like if the dish, Dorothy's dishwasher breaks and she says she's not going to repair it. Cause what's the point? Um, you know, they're one, every time they buy something, they're like, do I need three cans of, uh, of corn? Because, you know, I'm going to get picked up by, by the Clarion saucers. What's interesting is that about five years ago, I started, I was convinced that the dawn of like a lot of people, like the dawn of self-driving electric cars was nigh. And I was driving my 79 Suburban, and when people would say, you know, how can you possibly drive around in this truck that where the windows don't roll down and it only has an AM radio, for a long time I said, you know, this is the last car I'll ever own. Electric self-driving cars are on the horizon, and why would I buy a new car? This is your QAnon. You're like an Elon yeah. Musk yeah. QAnon member. And here it is five years later, and I bought a new car. Not a new car, but I bought a car uh, because I realized, oh... The electric self-driving cars are still... And how did you resolve these two ideas? Did you let go of one or did you try to synthesize them? Like, hey, in a way, self-driving cars, maybe maybe they came and we just didn't notice. Well, what I realized was I had said, this is the last car I'll ever own. And what that meant was this next car that I bought. <laughs> when I said this car, I yeah. mean this coming the, this car. I mean, that's exactly car. the thing. The Jewish calendar is very tricky <laughs> when it comes to car years. Um, at this time, uh, as word starts to get out about their activities... Uh, they start to experience real-world consequences. Lafayette has already been kicked out of his church, and now he gets fired by the by Michigan State uh-huh. because, you know, he's— and they're like, you know why. And it's because <laughs> he's running an apocalyptic UFO group from his doctor's office. Um, the PTA comes to Dorothy and says, you need to stop uh, t- telling local kids about this because the kids love it, of course. Yeah, right. It's, it's all the kids watching Captain Video and the college students that are fascinated by this. Um She's having all night meetings. There's a little bit of drama in the group at this point. This is all, you know, now that there's observers in, we get kind of a day-to-day breakdown from Festinger's group about what's happening. And there's there's a struggle for power. There's a woman he calls Bertha who starts to get communications from the creator. Oh, boy. Who she thinks trumps Sinandra. Yes. And so then the group is like, wait, Sinandra told Dorothy this, but the creator told Bertha this. So there's kind of this uh, veiled power struggle going on at the top of the group. What what is the sex angle here? Is there are, are are they talking about sex? Are they are they having group sex? The book is entirely sexless. I see. Festinger never even mentions it. Like I'm less interested in this cult. Like now. like the only things they do are they stop smoking and they stop eating meat. But they have cupcakes. And they I, have cupcakes. So this it, is real hard for me to decide. So it it may be that like the rest of 50s America there was all kinds of of uh, perversity just swirling under the surface. Yeah. But uh, it does not make the academic treatment, sadly. Okay. All right. Do you think you— do you Seems think, like it would have. Do you think it would be—do um, you think the belief in flying saucers just leads to to passionate 
passionate sexual exploits. I mean, I feel like this was also the rise of spanking as a as a as a social subculture. And I don't understand the, the what would the connection be? Spanking and cupcakes. Think about think about but spanking and aliens. I mean, you know, it. it, uh, it I'm uh, trying to help the, you. I'm trying the, to connect the, it, but I'm... the Jewish calendar is very confusing. <laughs> Um, but they're, they're, they're very specific a birth in, in an attempt to keep control over the group. Bertha actually suddenly announced that she's about to give birth to Christ <gasps> and heads upstairs <laughs> and then comes back down and says, with, the, with Christ? Uh, no. Oh. See, she's like, it, it's great. What a miracle. Uh, I spiritually gave birth to Christ and everyone's like, oh, okay. But everyone's so all in at this point, right. you know, because they've, they've invested, they've quit their jobs. They're not repairing their dishwashers. They're not doing a, a, a upkeep on their fan belt. Is she like holding invisible Christ? No, she, I see. She just says it was a, it was a magical moment, and then she um, this magic moment. But they keep trying to seek confirmation with falsifiable things. Like Bertha says, the Creator will now remove this zit under my eye. And and for the next few hours, they're like, well, it might be getting smaller. But even though none of this stuff ever happens, they always find an interpretation. And you know, they're not dummies. These are all. College-educated 50s people. And in advance, they're like, okay, what happens on December 21st if the saucer doesn't come? Like, Oh, they, they're, they've thought In this advance, through. like we see evidence in the book that they're like, well, I mean, could this be a test? Maybe maybe the, the rising water will start on that date, but it's going to take a few months to reach a crisis. Or maybe there's some lesson we all have to learn here, whether or not they come. So you can tell they're, they are modern people who know that this is yeah. unlikely in a way that, uh, you know, a, a medieval peasant or a, a Greek— uh, you know, a, a Greek pagan would not have, you know, would not have had to grapple with. You know, there's another element here, which is that this was the dawn of the rise of diet pills and amphetamines as like mm. really common, like over the counter. Um, a, a miracle of modern science yeah. that, you, that you can take this diet pill. Yeah, pep drugs. Because these people sound to me like they're on. You know? And Fetiman. And she is, and Dorothy is in all night trances. I bet that's what's going on, yeah. even though it's never mentioned. Yeah, little mother's little helpers or whatever. Oh no, those were Valiums. Valium was mother's little helper. Yeah, but, but like Benzedrines. Benzos, yeah. yeah. Um and but they're but even though they're kind of hedging, they're also talking very specifically about, well, Sinandra says you can't have metal on you in the saucer because you know, right. the, 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 the higher density rays will make it uh, flammable or explosive or whatever. Makes sense. And so everyone's, you know, worried about making sure they don't take their keys on the saucer, but they also just start ripping the zippers out of the flies of their pants uh-huh. and women oh, are I'm confirming we, my sex hypothesis. Women, women, well, women are terrified about if they have metal in the clasps of their bras, you know, this is Get all, them off. this is all very G rated in the book, but maybe you have a theory about what's going yeah, on Yeah, it's pre TSA, but also it's like. Yeah, it's the, it becomes a nudist cult. And there's some signs of kind of the beginnings of modern anxieties. You know, one ki- one young person just gets so worked up that he can't get the metal tips off his off his shoelaces. And it sounds like he's having what we would call a panic attack, uh-huh. you know. We're we're kind of seeing some some modern types of mental illness here over right. overlaid over this this kind of oddity. Don't take your shoes off. Uh they have a specific um they're issued passports to get on the flying saucers when they come. By what authority? Well, it's a blank piece of stationery and then a blank envelope with a three cents U.S. postage service stamp. So they have all the imagination of people who want to write letters to Eisenhower and talk about golf, but they're convinced that the flying saucer, they have a password that the aliens are going to require when they get on the saucers. Are you uh, authorized to reveal it? The password is, I can can now reveal the password is, did you leave your hat at home? Uh Uh-huh. 
which okay. again, a perfect Eisenhower era thing for aliens to say. Right. Um, and, and, but do you know, confirming that prophecy in 1960, people started leaving their hats at home. <laughs> oh, oh, coincidence. Oh, 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 could they have foreseen that? At this point, it starts to become national news and, um, you know, and there are funny headlines. Comedians start making jokes about, about the, have you heard about this? The Chicago, uh, right, right. <laughs> I guess you, if you guys live in Chicago, roll up your pants legs because the water is rising. So, uh, you know, kind of what we would imagine is modern media era. Right. Gets uh, big on Twitter for a minute. Yes. And in fact, and so uh, this, and this takes us to late December. They've been instructed not to celebrate Christmas, no presents, no caroling, which makes sense. Uh, the world's going to end four days before the traditional exchange of presents. Right. Um, but they face a very hard blow between December 20th and December 21st, a, a series of three of what Festinger and his, and his team would consider perfectly, uh, uh, clear cut disconfirmations of the belief. Um, on, I think the evening of December 19th, they get a phone call. Hey, this is captain video. I'm coming by at 4 PM to pick you up. Captain video, the popular, like children's uh science fiction serial oh wow the radio and tv i think um but which you know we can tell is a practical joke so, i'm coming by to pick you up. i'm captain video from T- you know it'd be like hey this is the power rangers uh <laughs> and and yet the people in the culture are all like yay captain video's coming and they all go back on the, out on the street at 4 p.m by 5 30 captain video has not showed up and they're back inside discouraged and of course they're like ah it was a drill Oh, okay. So they didn't feel pranked. It was a... Uh... Yeah, no. Th- these people are invulnerable to the idea that they are getting pranked and teased uh, and studied. They don't know that they're also being academically studied. Um, at, at this point, what percentage of the people in the cult are actually graduate students? <laughs> like, Is it the majority of them? It's a mix of, you know, the, it's a mix of, uh, it's about half huh. high school and college students. Oh. Um, but then just some local families, some people from Loftheads group up in East Lansing have glommed on. Um, it's a few dozen, but at this point, actually the most recent recruit actually leaves after the first thing. I think this guy is like, he was never, he's like, that was not captain video. Yeah. That was teens. Um, and I hate teens, Uh, but Festinger's theory is proved because they immediately start trying to persuade new visitors in the past. They've been like, this is a closed group. We are not seeking additional passengers on the saucers. But at this point, they start to try to persuade visitors. and um, On and it, the night of the 19th. Yeah, this is only two days before D-Day. And, uh, and they're, now they're like all in. And, and, you know, they start to worry about the metal filings in their teeth. They, they stay up until 3 a.m. because Dorothy has promised there's going to be a pickup that night. And it's freezing outside. It's Oak Park. It's Chicago in December. So they stay out as long as they can. And finally, they trudge back inside freezing and decide, hey, you know, of course, if there was one drill, there could be two. Sanandra's just putting us through basic training. It's wonderful that they think they have to be waiting outside. <laughs> right. Right? Like it, like well, it's it like in your Uber. <laughs> like the, the windows wouldn't light up or something if the spacecraft came down on the yard. You're not going to get a text being like, hey, this is Mustafa, your, your saucer pilot. I'm, uh, wh- where are you? Um, even though they're outwardly saying, oh, well, they sure are putting us through their paces. They speak in charmingly 50s ways. Dr. Lothhead keeps calling the uh, the guardians the boys upstairs. Sure. Boy, the boys upstairs sure must care about us. We're running all these uh, drills. Sure, the fellas. The fellas. The fellas, <laughs> up, the fellas up in the higher planes. 
Um, but even though they're putting a good face on it, Festinger, as observers can tell, everybody is obviously disappointed, but they're kind of reluctant to discuss it. And in fact, when members of the cult arrive in the morning and say, hey, what happened last night? They're all like, oh, nothing. No, oh. No, nobody says we spent all night out on the street. Right. Because um, there were members of the cult that, that, that went home? Yeah, well, people are coming and going. They don't all live there. It's a, it's a little suburban house. I get it, I get it. You know. Um, the next day, five young men show up. Um, they are just college kids eager to, to tease the cult they read about in the papers and to see if they can talk them out of it. Uh-huh. Um, but the, the cult immediately is like, hey, the boys from Clarion are here. Sure, they're here. And they, Look, they have a, they'll think about their density. And they take audiences with them. And the boys, once they have private audiences with the leaders of the cult, they try to get Dorothy Martin to recant. This is crazy. What do you mean? You know, you're just you're getting all this from from pulp science fiction. More tests, and that's exactly what they say. Ah, uh, the Sanandra has sent. You know, the, the Clarion has sent new tests, and we have passed. These were the spacemen, and so even though there was no pickup last night, our prophecy was true. The spacemen did come to offer us this important test. God has always done this, by the way, as you well know. Comes down, he tests, tests, he tests, he tests, he's always testing. Again, he cannot do the falsifiable thing, right? Or everyone would just believe in God, and what fun would that be? How how would the sheep get separated from the goats, right? If if God is on CNN, um, but despite the fact that they have, they increasingly create these new and baroque stories. The group does keep getting winnowed. Uh, the next morning is December twentieth, twenty four hours to go. One would think, and Dorothy's automatic revi- writing reveals. Um, the parked car will come at midnight and take us to the porch. They all agree this means a saucer pickup. Right. Um, at 1115, uh, Martin gets a message to stand by. Uh, oh, this is uh, this is that night, 1115 p.m. She gets a message. All right, stand by. It's coming at midnight. At 1135, a few people realize they still have zippers in some of their clothing. Nah. And there's, there's frantic zipper removal. Right. Um, at 1205... Someone says, well, that clock is fast. <laughs> the clock in the study is clearly more accurate. But then midnight arrives on the second clock, and there is just outward silence. Oh, but it meant midnight at the international dateline. <laughs> there, there actually is no uh, second time must be run. There is no Jewish calendar is complex at this point. Um, there is kind of a crazy interlude. Um Bertha, the kind of competing leader, the one who talks to the creator, promises that Dorothy's husband will die and be resurrected. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. and I think then he comes in and and they're like, "See, he's alive! It worked." Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, one guy hurries home uh, to be with his mom um, at two thirty a.m. There's a new communication from Sanandra who. Uh, encourages them to take a coffee break. Right. We got held up at customs. He literally says, uh, have a coffee break. The observers press Dorothy for an explanation at this point. Look, we thought the saucers were coming five hours ago. What's going on? Dorothy sticks with dates and times are so arbitrary. You know, what's important is that we're prepared for, for these precepts to be, to come true, which they inevitably will. Bertha says, I think they came and it was a symbolic pickup. And, And Martin disagrees. No, 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 no. This is, there is a physical pickup. What's important is that we're prepared for it. And then at 4.45 a.m. comes the all-important announcement. A covered wagon comes out from under the kitchen sink. <laughs> to take them to the porch. <laughs> the chuck wagon is here. Yeah. No, Dorothy Martin announces that God has canceled the apocalypse. 
Wow. There is amazing news, everyone. What an unusual move on God's part. The, we thought the good news was going to be flying in a saucer to the higher dimensional frequencies. In fact, there's even better news. The apocalypse has been called off. Yay! Yay! What could be better? Wow. At this point, one person is like, I'm bailing. But what, what was God's rationale? God does not offer one. Okay. All right. Uh, there is a statement to the papers, which has kind of a convoluted, um, good, you know, good news. Uh, Wait, from Ramtha or from these people? These, yeah, no, the, 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 the Tribune is not contacted directly. Um, these people immediately feel an urgency after being a closed group for months. Because they haven't gone to the bathroom in a week. Well, they haven't slept all night. Oh, so they're, sure. they're, on these, they're on their benzos, you've decided. Right. And suddenly they are just manic. We got to call, okay, let's call that reporter that made fun of us, but also let's call the AP, let's call UPI, let's call Life Magazine, they'll do a spread. You know, we've got to get the word out. Sinandra, the apocalypse is canceled. Sinandra has saved us all. Like, what could be more important? So there's then there's just frantic hours, diet pill fueled hours of <laughs> typing up messages, you know, that they're going to mimeograph. They call it the Christmas message. Oh. So there's a euphoric day of just, you know, the, the an endless stream of reporters arriving, and um, you know, because everyone loves this new development of the story, you know, right? Um, and it is a kind of a Christmas miracle. There it is. It's the perfect time of year for it. Um, but the euphoria does wear off. The observers notice that the euphoria kind of wears off once. Once the manic phase ends and they're all very tired and they're just kind of like, well, what do we do now? But, you know, at 8 a.m. they tune in excitedly to hear to hear the, the wire reports of the they turn on the radio to hear the, the story that was recorded. Um, Dorothy Martin, who has not wanted to has been very suspicious of reporters for months now, is calling back all the people who made fun of her and uh, is eager to talk about everything like I not just the saucers and not just uh, Sinandra sparing the earth, but also, you know, as a woman, I feel like I have an interesting take on the education crisis in this country. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like she just has not, does not, cannot see a microphone. She doesn't. And this is all she, she doesn't like. She is recognizing as an intelligent middle-class woman that, uh, that this is being presented as the lighter side of the news. She must know, but yeah. they, they, they continue to seem blind to it. Like a, a phone calls. Uh, they get a phone call from some kids saying, "Hey, have you checked your bathroom? Because I hear it's flooding." And they um, instead <laughs> is your refrigerator of, running? Instead of slamming the phone down in anger, they immediately run outside to see if the saucers are coming. <laughs> Wait, the bathroom's coming. <laughs> Doctor Armstrong, or Lawhead as he really is, has to rush back to East Lansing because he has found out there's been all amid all this news coverage, his sister has gone to court to petition for his own insanity and to take custody of Lawhead's children. <gasps> One of his daughters is in the cult and, and seems pretty all in, but he has two younger kids at home and his sister thinks that the UFO cult has led him to neglect them. Oh, dear. So he has to rush home to, to get his kids out of the house before his sister can collect them. Um, they get a very funny communique uh, between the, now and Christmas from the Glee. So the Losolo, remember, is this international uh, uh, or sorry, intergalactic institute of learning. But apparently it has a Glee Club. They get a, uh, Dorothy Martin gets an announcement from the Glee Club. Wait a minute. Glee, of La Solo University. Uh, Glee Club or Gleek Club? Glee Club. Oh, okay. Like uh, as a, as a uh, kind of an informal jazz choir would have been called at the time. Right. I could imagine it also being a Gleek Club. They could have been Gleeking. But no, this was a Glee Club. And, and he uh, t- uh, tells them, hey, uh, they're instructed to go sing outside. This is the music of the spheres. Uh-huh. Go sing Christmas carols. On oh, the night of Christmas Eve. Carols are back. Carols are back. They're allowed. And in fact, the saucers are going to land. On Christmas. On Christmas Eve. Not for the apocalypse, but just for a visit. Uh, yeah. The okay. apocalypse has been canceled, but the spacemen are still going to come. Okay. So they notify the press. And uh, 
hundreds of people are out in the street, which gets, you know, Dorothy's already in trouble with her PTA. Now she's in trouble with the HOA. The neighbors are angry. <laughs> and uh, everyone's instructed to sing carols really loudly so the Glee Club of La Solo University can send the saucers. Um, no saucer comes, but they do see some odd people in the crowd that they're convinced are spacemen, and therefore the prophecy has been they did fulfilled. Come. Yes. It was just invisible saucers. They, they were just white men in, in golf shirts mingling in the crowd. Right. Or probably, you know, it's December. Yeah, they're probably, they're probably wearing, yeah, parkas. Uh, a few who were skeptical and fed up become the most zealous defenders to, to, oh. to the reporters. Oh. So Festinger feels like his work has been confirmed. Uh, uh, but most of them are, uh, their exhilaration is followed by depression, disillusionment, confusion. The ones who are still physically with the group hang in there better, but the ones who have gone home are, uh, are the ones who've, fall away very quickly and are like, boy, this was what a sham I fell for for five months. Interesting. They, and I guess it makes sense. You know, it's, it's the social milieu that keeps, I, I think it's why, I think it's why religions meet every week. Right. You know, right. Other, Can, otherwise you'll forget. I, I do feel like the, uh, they're among us thing has now become a big part of the confirmation bias of all this, all, all these cults. You don't have to wait for them to come. They're here. Yeah, Rowdy Rowdy Piper springs directly from... Yeah. I mean, I see it all the time. Like, uh, have you ever noticed that Faye Dunaway's eyes are upside down? I have noticed that, yeah. actually. But I, I've never... Do you believe she's a, she's from La Solo? It just fe- it feels like they were trying to make people... You see this all the time. You, they were trying to make people look like humans, but they got they, they just put the eyes in upside down. There are there is a kind of actor now that does get cast as the vaguely unearthly type because of their high forehead or bulging eyes or who who is the woman from X Files? Gillian, Gillian Anderson. Anderson. Her eyes are upside down too. Put oh. her next to Faye Dunaway. Both of their both of them have upside down eyes. This is the new religious movement we're going to start. Uh-huh. The two aliens have come to Earth and have both achieved great fame in film and TV. Right, Faye Dunaway and uh, one of them has an Oscar. Uh. At this point, Festinger's, all of Festinger's predictions come true. Not only are they eager to talk to reporters, but visitors are welcomed into the house, clapped on the back. The house is a, a veritable circus all during Christmas. Many are assumed to be aliens. Um, all these recordings that were secretly being kept by the cult itself you know, to be destroyed are now released to the public. So they did have hours of tape of a lot of their sessions. Um, and this was, you know, this the researchers didn't expect it, but... Um, they, they search for new confirming evidences. They reach out to other UFO clubs, and that kind of makes sense. Uh, the ones who are more committed uh, tend to double down. The ones who are less committed tend to discard the belief. Um, but things quickly go wrong for the cult, even though it seems like they've reached a great new era of the apocalypse not coming within the week. Um, Dorothy Martin's neighbors are furious about the mad scene outside the, uh, the mob scene outside the house and they get the local cops who have been very patient to issue an arrest warrant. They're like, you've got to give all this up. And, and they come apologetic and they say, well, ma'am, if you don't yeah. give up all the, this is a quiet city street. Man. If you don't give up all the shenanigans, we're going to have to act. Um, also UFOs making contact with them. I wonder if they thought the cops were the UFOs or, or if back then the trust of American police authority would overwhelm your religious beliefs. Yeah. Um, you know, because that was very powerful back then. Sure. They had uniforms on. They had uniforms. Uh, 
but that mostly becomes the end of it. The, the Lawheads uh, at trial are found competent. They're the judge says, despite their unorthodox beliefs, these seem like uh, normal, concerned parents, you know, and, and they're they're perfect. You can just tell by reading the dialogue, you know, the fellows, the boys upstairs. He is just some normal guy. Yeah, they've never missed an electric bill. Yes, they they vote in every uh, they vote in every municipal election, and um, their checkbook is balanced. Uh, the account, so they they uh, leave Lansing where they don't have a job anymore. The universities fired them, and they kind of become itinerant UFO preachers. Mm-hmm. So there becomes this this kind of traveling culture of so they UFO they believers. they skip out on the cult, but they don't leave behind the right. This the Chicago Seekers apparently were a dead end, but that doesn't mean the spacemen haven't been coming. And I, I think for the rest of their time, these people try to coalesce their beliefs, their Oak Park Seekers beliefs into new frameworks. Uh, An article I found in the Seattle Times from January 1st of 1955 says that Martin had checked herself into psychiatric care. Um, But that is, despite making the wires, that is nowhere in Festinger's book. He says that um, she actually just headed out west. She renamed herself Sister Thedra, landed in Dianetics briefly as kind of a a rebound cult, I guess. Uh Uh-huh. And then kind of started her own Sinandra-based um, thing, monastery in the deserts of uh, California and Arizona, where she continued to commune with the the guardians from the higher dimensional frequencies and the, the denser spheres. Yeah, I've seen the uh, I've seen the copper pyramids out uh, north of Phoenix. So these people all just kind of return to the. The, the, the swamps of pseudoscience? The swamps of pseudoscience from which they arose. But the most interesting after effect of this whole thing uh, is actually on the academic end. Festinger, having long been interested in how the human brain works when two in- inconsistent ideas are forced to uh, 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 you know, sit alongside each other, comes up with a term for it. And the following year, he writes his groundbreaking essay or groundbreaking paper, a theory of cognitive dissonance. <gasps> wow. Uh, which is maybe the most important work in social psychology of the 20th century. Right. And, 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 and in a very powerful diss, if you're arguing with somebody on the internet. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, the cognitive dissonance must be overwhelming <laughs> lib. Wow. Cognitive dissonance. So this whole idea that um, it's, it's uh, trouble it's psychological cognitive trouble for the brain when you have to hold two ideas at the same time. For example, the UFOs are coming on December 24th and the UFOs did not come on December 24th. Right. Um, but there's only, you only or, have, the, or they did come spiritually. Right. Um, there's really only a few options in, in Festinger's words, either you have to change one of the beliefs or you have to acquire kind of new info to build, to build better consonants, you know, reduce the dissonance by, by um, getting new support, and that could be the, in this case, the increased proselytization uh, and um, and ra- and series of rationalizations that followed the not the no show ufos, uh, or you just kind of have to live in denial, like kind of de-emphasize the dissonant angle of the two cognitions. You know, like somebody who keeps smoking, even though they know it's not good for their lungs, they just kind of have to try not to think about it. They they don't. You can either build up an architecture of how this is actually good, or you can just say, F it. Right. Um, or you can either quit smoking or disbelieve in the lung science. 
So you really only have three options. And this all arose from Festinger happening to read about a UFO cult in the paper right as he's getting interested in uh, in failed millenarian prophecy. I wonder if cognitive dissonance and this whole experience that you're describing, we we trace it back all the time to to the 19th century. We see it a lot. And then, you know, you go back to medieval history or or biblical times and you see it. And I want and now you see it a lot with Vince Foster and anti-vax and and um all the modern modern conspiracy theories. Although they they you know what they do is they reduce the dissonance by just you know shutting out all the sources that that do not support their findings. But I wonder if this isn't a kind of uh like absolutely universal human experience that a certain percentage of the people are always going to be I mean it's just a matter of of finding order in chaos. Um whether or not this is, I mean, 50% of the, 50% of Americans think that the, so the well, second, the rapture is coming by the, the year 2050 or right. something. I mean, they can't find Chile on a map either, but, but, you know, I wonder if this isn't, if, if we aren't hard, hardwired for this. If you're not a person, if you're not a believer, of course, if you're not a person of faith, you believe that all spiritual or religious beliefs of any kind are, uh, you know, fall into this. Category, category, right? Of, you know, of, and and these people must constantly be trying to deal with the dissonance of, well, I've been told that there's a, a god or a Buddha nature or whatever it is, and yet no one ever seems to get their comeuppance. Day to day life seems to have no confirmation of this for me, for, right? For why, my entire life. Why did God give cancer to this nice person and and not to this bad person? Exactly. Um, but it's I, I, it's probably not limited to religious people, as you say. This is probably a universal a universal experience to try to impose order and we just choose to do it in different ways. Well, yeah, I think, I think it's absolutely not confined to religious people because we see it all the time in social theory. I mean that right now it's almost a, uh, almost a universal quality that you would ascribe to a belief that would come up against, you know, conflicting evidence and you would just brush it off as as. Yeah, and I, I have it too in an ideological sphere. You know, I'll, I'll read a finding that kind of cuts against what, what my priors are on race or equity or, uh, you know, economic realities, income inequality, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, I do kind of feel that, oof, yeah. you know, should I get into this and try to figure out how, how to synthesize this with, with my priors? But or, you quash or should it. I not? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's your instinct is to quash it at least because time is limited. And that's the thing. Today, yeah. there's, I think there's more quashing just because uh, the vast sea of information that, can, that is available to challenge or reinforce you, there's just not enough hours in the day to synthesize all the, all the dissonant ones. Right. You just have to quash, and that leads people to, to bubble. How many first rate intelligences are left? And that concludes The Chicago Seekers, entry 213.RV0103, certificate number 17854 in the omnibus. Future links in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, uh, you can find Ken Jennings on Twitter. Let's just call it what it is. You can find Ken Jennings on Twitter. You can find me at my Patreon. Uh, you can... Uh, find Omnibus at our Patreon, patreon.com slash Omnibus, and support the show there. You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can find Futurelings out on the internet. They're also there. I don't know what happens if you go on Twitter at 
futurelings. That's something that's never occurred to me until just now. Does anybody have that handle? Hopefully. Or if not, we should get it immediately. Uh, You can mail us things at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, before the... Before first contact happened and the saucers eventually came. I assume you were not singing Christmas carols when they did, but I know eventually they did. But we don't know how long our civilization will survive before Hudson Bay and the Gulf of Mexico are combined into a great inland sea. Now, we hope and pray that catastrophe may never come because we are not prepared. We are not pulled out our zippers. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be at our final. But if providence allows... We hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.